0: We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, this is my second installment in my Emerging Leaders episodes. My original goal for this podcast was to provide a platform for some of the country's and world's best nonprofit leaders and thinkers to share their insights and inspiration with all of you. Now, along the way, I've also wanted to make sure that I wasn't forgetting to reach out to the young, emerging nonprofit leaders who really want to invest their lives into making real change in our world. Well, today's guest is one of those inspiring, young, emerging leaders. His name is Robbie Hazan. Uh, he is 17 years old, and he started Kidobite. Kidobite is a student-run nonprofit organization based in the Boston area. They offer free computer science classes to children who would not otherwise have access to such classes. Now, their mission is to give all children an opportunity to experience the magic of coding, regardless of their ability to pay. I think you're going to be very inspired by this young leader. Enjoy today's show. Robbie. thanks so much for taking time to be on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You bet. Well, this is the second episode in my Emerging Young Leaders series. And I always love hearing from this next generation, what they're doing to make their world better. And I want you to tell us all about, a little about you, first of all, and then all about Kidobite. You have started this organization and you're really about helping all kids access computers, get coding training and all kinds of different things to prepare them for the future. So maybe you can dive in a little bit about why you started Kidobyte and what's your mission? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Rob, thanks for the
1: introduction. Uh, as, as he said, I'm, I'm Robbie Hassan. And so this year, a really big focus of my time has been KetoBite. It's been forming this nonprofit and really trying to share my passion for computer science. I had the idea talking with my parents that I realized I really wanted to do something with my extra time during COVID. I mean, I had no idea how big of a element it would become in my life, but I'm really glad it took off. Since then, have uh, I've been able to affect so many lives and I've been so uh, blessed to be able to be a part of that and to be able to grow such a supportive team. And the reason why I chose to start specifically a coding nonprofit is because looking back at my childhood, I remember some of the most fond memories having something to do with programming, being on the bed with my dad in Florida, programming a game. That, that memory sticks out specifically and I wanted to be able to share that with others.
0: I think it's really cool. That's fun to hear a little bit of story of you and your dad and uh, giving you maybe inspired early on to do this. So, okay. I understand that you offer classes. These classes are free, which is great in terms of equity and accessibility, but who funds you? How do you have funding in terms of having this organization?
1: Yeah. So What's really great is there are a lot of companies that are actually looking in order, uh, looking for organizations to support. And they're looking to actually help uh, individuals make a difference you know, through a nonprofit or however medium it may take. So we have an entire branch of our organization looking for sponsorships, grants, even personal donations uh, in order to keep us going. And we rely on that absolutely to not only uh, continue our own organization, but to also actually buy computers for our students who might not have access to
0: them otherwise. Excellent. So, yeah, and you mentioned this earlier. So, tell me, it's not just you, you've got a whole team. How does this work? I'm assuming, from what you told me earlier, you're all volunteers at this point. How big of a team do you have? And I understand you're based in Boston, but you have groups all over the country. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So, for the most part, we rely
1: on, we we give out community service hours to high school volunteers. But recently, our reach has expanded to even Pittsburgh and places all over the US where, you know, not even high school students anymore. We have Three volunteers who are not in high school have decided that they want to help out. They want to, you know, spread our, you know, help make our mission more successful. They want to spread passion for computer science as well. It's, it's been really, really incredible to build that team. We have around
0: 20 volunteers at the moment. So what have you been doing? How do you get the word out about Kidobite? Like if you're, I'm thinking like I have a couple of daughters and if they were to find out about it, is it through social media? How would they find out about these classes you offer? What kind of marketing do you do?
1: Yeah, so our marketing is also, it was definitely an interesting challenge at the beginning, thinking about, well, you know, it's not going to be that hard to actually convince people to take the course because it's free. We're not, you know, there's no con. But how do we actually reach people and how do we specifically reach the correct people? How do we target the right audience, you know, parents who are actually going to sign up their kids? And the way that we've been able to reach out to, you know, for the public community has been through social media. It's been a lot through word of mouth. But, you know, it's actually, aside from that, we've been using Facebook. We've been using Twitter, reaching out to actually larger companies with kind of a higher presence, a larger presence on those platforms to shout us out. And then in terms of the classes that we have with uh, different transitional housing organizations, that's just cold call emailing and phone calls and trying to, you know, pitch uh, in you know 60 seconds what we
0: do and how we can help. And then going from there. Great to know. Okay. Now, what's your vision for this? Like, how big do you want this to go? Do you want this to be in every city in America? If so, do you kind of have a plan for the next year, three years, five years? I mean, this is, it's, I'm loving this. And my, for my listeners, I think you heard the fact that he's 17 years old. So this is fantastic. I love having people that are young that have this passion to want to help people. But yeah, tell me a little bit more about your vision. I mean, I'm impressed already. Where would you like to see this go in the next couple of years? Well, you know, from day one, I saw this, I saw the opportunity that existed in Kittlebyte. I knew that I
1: didn't want it to just be, you know, tutoring. I didn't, I wanted to have, you know, many different uh, elements that separate separated from obviously just tutoring. But beyond that, I really saw that I wanted to take this far. I, I at the moment, I don't know, because I really, um, it's my passion. It's what I've built up for the last year. And looking forward, I can totally, uh, I, I totally want to build it up to the point where we're all over the country and we have thousands of students and we're able to grow and, you know, sustain. But then there's also the time constraint as I approach college. Think about, okay, well, this is super important to me. Is it even feasibly possible to continue it uh, into college? So, you know, just kind of like exploring those options, keeping things open and being open-minded is, is important.
0: Okay, we can dive into that a little bit. Do you know where you
1: want to go to college and what you want to do at this point? Yeah. So computer science is such a huge part of my life. And I also really enjoy engineering and just building up this, building up kiddo I realized how much I love business and the aspect of, of leadership. So right now I really like MIT. Um, I've actually been looking at MIT ever since I was a kid. And recently as I went on tours and like just went to the campus, I fell in love with it.
0: Well, Hey, that is a fantastic school for what you want to do It's right there in Boston, which is kind of nice. So that sounds amazing. Uh, way to go. Um, Best of luck for you. It'll be fun to hear in a couple of years what ends up happening, or maybe one more year. Yeah, you're probably one year out. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Next year, it's application time. And then this time next year, I'll know whether whether I'm going or not.
0: I know it's very competitive. So good luck again. But that sounds exciting. And I, I guarantee that the fact that you're doing this has got to help your application process because you're not just good at computer coding and and computer science, but you're helping others be really good at it. And in fact, I want to get to that. Um, You know, it's clear that computer science is one of those most in-demand and highest paying job opportunities in the market right now. You even state that on your website and you're right. But it sounds like from your research and what you've seen, most kids in America are just not getting trained at the level they should be If this is really one of the main primary opportunities for them for good paying jobs. So what have you found so far in terms of why is that the case? And what have you done to try to, uh, you know, mitigate that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is such a key part of our mission because you're absolutely right. Uh, I believe it's around 40% of high schools in the United States offer programming courses. And that number is absurdly low. It, it doesn't even make sense because the farther back you go into middle school and even elementary school there's almost no opportunities for uh, students to learn computer science that 40 percent immediately drops down to maybe 10 and and that's not you know that's not that's kind of coming off right off the brain i'm not exactly sure of those numbers but it's very close it's just it's mind-blowing because as you mentioned computer science is not only such an incredible opportunity for as a job and in going forwards but it's also just such a creative tool. It just has the opportunity to bring so much joy and be such a perfect outlet for creativity for so many kids already on their computers. I, I, this was a really big push for KidOByte why I wanted to make sure that classes were free and equitable, just that everyone has access to it.
0: We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right hand box and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. I'm so glad to hear that. And that's, you know, the free part is makes it really good for the equity reasons, as we mentioned before. Now, COVID hit. Obviously, you started this in 2020, ironically. How has COVID impacted what you've tried to do? My guess would be a lot of kids are online, just like we all are, right? And maybe even more than ever because they couldn't go to school. Has it changed your mission? Has it accelerated things or has it made it more difficult? Yeah. So, it actually
1: really helped um, in in some aspects, and I, I can elaborate on that because what happened when everyone started switching to online school is that both parents and children became a little bit more open minded to the idea of online learning. So while our classes are live, and you know we definitely make make it an ex- extreme effort to make sure that kids are having fun and are engaged, and we can acknowledge the fact that Zoom is not as is not as fun as as in person could be. Zoom definitely made things and COVID definitely made things easier for us because there wasn't a barrier between, you know, people be like, well, do I really want to sign up my kid for online school? Because there really wasn't any, op- any other option. Now, transitioning kind of out of COVID, we've actually started an in person class with uh, one of our partners, the Brookview House, and that's been going really, really great. So we do see kind of light at the end of the tunnel. We, do, we are also continuing to do Zoom. And I think that there's been a shift uh, in, in the culture where people are now more open-minded to doing things online.
0: Yeah, well done on that again. Well, maybe give us a case of um, a situation where maybe a school or a group of kids, tell us uh, an example of uh, people that you're teaching and how's it going so far? Yeah, yeah, so really every single course has like, has opened my mind and
1: it's been really, really incredible. Starting out, I actually did a test group with some of my sister's you know, friends, uh, they're in elementary school. And I just remember being so excited to log onto the computer and go and code with a bunch of, a bunch of uh, you know, seven and eight-year-olds. And that, that really... I, I've always loved kids and I've always loved teaching kids. Uh, and I've taught both my siblings how to code as well. So, and that really opened my mind. And then going into uh, our partnership with the Brookview House and doing things with this whole other incredible uh, aspect of the community that I um, hadn't really gotten much experience you know, being with before... It really like broadened my horizons, I think, and I was able to, I was able to really take away from that, and 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 I honestly think it, I would would I would be a different person without that experience.
0: I love that. Well, and okay, so we'll just play out a little bit. So you go to college, but you were able to continue this. It grows. What do you have? People that have kind of the same passion where you could really develop this and expanded and have some more people take over? And if so, if that is the case, is that more your family members? Is it friends of yours? Is it a network of teens kind of across the Boston area? Uh, talk about that, how you've kind of passed your passion and your vision onto other people in this organization. Yeah. So what's so great about our team is that everyone is very aligned by this
1: one mission. Everyone seems very excited to, 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 to work and to further KiddoBite and to reach kids and, and help broaden in their computer science education. So I really, truly feel like I will have somebody to pass this off if I don't continue it in college. I think that would be to my fellow volunteers who have been working just as hard as I have. And
0: I, I really appreciate them. I love it. Okay. So now this may be a parent that's listening to this podcast, a nonprofit leader. That's most of my um, audience is, but they hear this and they're like, well, okay, love this idea. I want my kid to learn coding because I know that is a great job opportunity in the future. And maybe they'll make more money than me one of these days. Right. But how do you handle the whole issue of computer safety? There's all, you know, of course, there's a whole can of worms, right? That can happen with, I think about my own kids when they get online, uh, just making sure that they're not prey to predators or they, you know, find themselves on one part of the internet that they, they probably shouldn't. Uh, how do you manage that when you start teaching them to do coding and different things? I'm sure that the, that is an issue for parents anyway, just to make sure there's some kind of coaching maybe around that. How do you, you approach that with kids? Yeah, absolutely. Well, within our own
1: organization, all of our instructors are briefed and you know cleared, you know, background check, all of that, just to make sure that the, the students are in a safe hands right off the get-go. But also when we teach actual computer science and we're teaching kids how to navigate their computers, it's really important to kind of point out where there could be certain dangers on the internet, unfortunately. So Whenever we're, you know, telling students to set up an email, we'll actually, you know, be like, okay, you know, these are the emails to watch out for. Don't click random links, things like that. Um, and that's not necessarily a strict part of our curriculum, but more just helpful tips that will that will usually come up as, as we uh, teach computer uh, programming.
0: No, thank you for that. I know that is a, just a very real uh, thing. Unfortunately, it's sad, but it's true. And uh, every parent, I know that's a concern for them when it comes to kids on the getting online. Okay, then you mentioned a bit right before we started the interview that you're underneath uh, the umbrella of another organization. Maybe talk about that organization and how that supports you. Because I'm thinking for those who are listening that maybe want to do something similar to you in terms of, you know, having a young person like yourself to start something, but maybe they don't have all the funding to have their own 501c3. They could kind of be the parent organization, if you will, of an emerging smaller organization that could fall under them. So maybe talk about your structure, how that works, how did that relationship get started? Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of goes back to how
1: I formed uh, the nonprofit as well, um, and just the specifics of that. So I can kind of go back and and talk about, well, how did I come up with the idea, first of all, but then mainly, well, how did I go about approaching it? So the summer of 2020, I was actually working with another nonprofit um, that one of my friends had created. I just, I I loved the work that I was doing. Uh, Eventually I realized, well, you know, I can actually go and do this myself. And he inspired me. And so I kind of took a look at what he had done. And what he did was he went to an organization called the Hack Foundation, the Lego Hack Club. Basically, they are a much bigger organization that specifically operates and has an aspect of their business model as a bank. And they you can operate under their IRS status without like almost, you know, almost near like nowhere near the expense that otherwise you might have to dish out. And I can talk about that a bit. But, and then they... Uh, offer you know the IRS status operating under their 501c3. They give you a place to store your money and and also they offer an incredible community where you can learn from other ambitious teens and and people trying to make do good in the world. So, yeah, uh, they take seven percent of your revenue and that was like nowhere near like the thousands of thousands of dollars that you'd have to pay uh, in order to form a 501c3. And especially starting out, it's such a great opportunity. Obviously, there are reasons to go with, go through the formal IRS process, but for a, for a teenager kind of just experimenting, especially at first, I, I would really recommend that structure.
0: You know, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And I think for my listeners that if one maybe they're interested and they want to help out or just find out more about what you're doing, is it something where people could actually donate to your cause? And if so, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So they absolutely can. So, we have a donation
1: link on our website. And while that does actually go to Hack Club, it's immediately rerouted to us. Same thing with checks. You know, if a sponsor is going to write a check to us, they do put it in, in the name of the Hack Foundation. But then in the memo, it's put kidobyte and it ends up always coming to us and you know. <laughs> and there's they're very, very transparent. Really great people at Hack Club. So there was never any issue about about that.
0: And then, you know, it sounds like you're, you've had a lot of teenagers, of course, being your primary ones that were doing the coding training with other kids. Uh, what if some other people want to get involved and are really good at coding and, and want to help out and volunteer? How would they go about uh, doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So really any inquiry, first of all, you can email us at Robbie at but beyond
1: that, you can uh, go to kiddobyte.org and there's everything is available. We have links for volunteering. You can just fill out a form and we'll reach out to you. And yeah, again, you can feel free to email us or even contact us on the contact us form. Anything's available and we, we're really happy just to, you know, answer any questions you may have as well.
0: Well, Robbie, thank you so much for being on the show. It's really fun to have someone like you that is so passionate, has a lot of excitement and energy. And my hope is that you can keep this going, even if you once you get into MIT, once you get in and then you just keep it going, you know, because it's a great thing. And you're right. It's helping, particularly on the equity side, you're helping kids that maybe wouldn't have access to coding training otherwise. So one more time, if people are really excited about this, they hear this and they're like, oh, I want to meet this guy, Robbie, or I just want to hear about his organization. How can they reach out to you or how can they find out more about the organization itself? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can go to ketobyte.org, just like I
1: mentioned before. If you want to find me personally, you can go at Robbie Hazan on Instagram. Uh, You can uh, just send me an email as well, Robbie at ketobyte.org. All of those are options. And you can find KetoByte on Twitter, Facebook,
0: everywhere. Fantastic. Well, Robbie, again, keep up the great work. Love hearing uh, all that you're doing. And we'll be really curious to hear how it goes this next year. Best of luck again. Thank you again for your time today. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.